You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. I got a phone call. It was just at my desk on the dignity of a... Uh of a of a desk treadmill that I was very excited about trying out and looking at my latest research on televangelists. And I got this phone call from a very bored um, physician's assistant who, who said that I had stage four cancer and that I would have to come to the hospital right away. Duke University religion professor Kate Bowler was 35 and living with her husband and two-year-old son in Durham, North Carolina, when she started feeling pain in her stomach. She was eventually sent in for a CT scan and got the results by phone the next day. And it felt like, it sounded like I, I was underwater. Like I could tell that she was talking, but your brain just kind of becomes this sort of quiet sort of screaming in the background. And and at some point she stopped talking and all I could think of to say was, um, but I have a son. As if like, as if, as if my best argument, my biggest love would, um, would be enough to like create a wall between the, you know, the information she was gonna try to give me that would absolutely shatter my world. Did she answer you? She's, I remember she just said, uh, she just kind of flatly repeated, I'm going to need for you to come inside. Um, because, I mean, my office was only about a five-minute walk from the, from, from the intake, from the ER, from where I would just have to go and then get, go through the intake process and take off my blazer. And, I mean, I had just given a lecture. Like, it was just like, it was like taking off the whole career that I had just had and then put on a hospital gown. I remember with each person that I loved, like the feeling of this, like as if touching them and it shattering. Like my, the look on my husband's face and like, and he just looked like he was an astronaut that whose cord had been cut and he was just floating away. And, and like the panic in my mom's voice where she all of a sudden, you could tell she was just like scrambling to figure out who would take my son? Like it's just, and I and I had to be like, oh mom, like like don't worry, like my husband, like Tobin, he'll he'll keep living. 
but that everybody in that moment is just, it's like watching the glass crack under our feet. And I, but I think the thing that was so painful about it was it felt like I was breaking them. Like that's what love does. Is it just, um, it's not just the thing that holds us, but it felt like it was the anvil. You kind of drop on them. Kate Bowler was brought into a four-hour emergency surgery at Duke Hospital that night to remove a large tumor in her colon. How long after surgery did you hear, I mean, when you hear stage four cancer, when did it sink in how serious this all was? I didn't know that. I honestly didn't know. I mean, maybe I just wasn't. I I understood there was cancer in the world. It seemed to me that it's like with burns, degrees of burns. I knew it existed. I didn't know what it meant. And so all of the words they were using really didn't make any sense to me. I didn't know if stage four was the worst one. I didn't know what um, lesions meant. I didn't know they were talking about tumors. I understood vaguely that I was some kind of spaghetti bowl of cancer, but I couldn't figure out where it had spread. And the truth is, at the the beginning, neither did they, because it's really only later you do all these sort of evaluative scans. And so the first moment of clarity I had was with, um, with a resident, like a junior resident who was stuck checking on me in the middle of the night and no one was in the room. And I just, I just, cleared my throat and asked. And I was like, hi, I'm sorry, um, but nobody has told me yet, like if I'm gonna live. And I wondered if you could answer some of my questions. And it was one of the most unbelievably intimate conversations of my life because he wasn't ready to have that conversation and, and neither was I. And what did he tell you? He did something that I've come to recognize as like the most common response to like a really, really hard question, which is a series of abstractions that attempt precision. So he said, well, I can't answer that except by telling you the median survival rate for people with your diagnosis, you know, which is probably like a like not a bad, not a bad attempt, but I, um, but you know, people who normally had colon cancer, I didn't, which I didn't know, are in their seventies and eighties, and people don't normally have it when they're thirty-five. And when I finally just kept asking questions, and he said, "Well, you have, you likely have a fourteen percent chance of survival," and then he got up to leave. It was only by the time he got to the door that I was like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait! What does survival mean?" like realizing that he probably had a number in his head. And he's like, oh, that means two years. And so it was so precise. It was so measured that in somewhere in the abstraction, it was almost impossible for me to figure out like what that meant for my life, my time, my, yeah. So he was saying you have a 14% chance of living for two years. Yeah based on what normally 70-year-old men have. So it it always felt like I was, like, stuck in a word problem, like Mm -hmm. Kate has. You know, like, two trains are coming. One goes 55 miles per hour. And I... It's it's one of the weirdest things I think about being a patient is you're... 
you know, you have this individual case and then you're all of a sudden in a set of probabilities and systems that you don't really understand. Like, like a group of doctors will come into the room, but you don't know what their jobs are. And other people do, and it's mostly based on the length of their coat, but you don't know that. Like, you just, you just got there and you're scared out of your mind. Yeah. Mostly I just understood that I probably wouldn't live through the year and it was fall and something about it being fall and it being the last fall and then the Christmas and it being the last Christmas. It, it felt like I was holding like an impossible thought. Like every time I tried to think my way around it, it would just, it was too big or too heavy. Kate Bowler was surrounded by people who had a lot of experience thinking about these things. Her colleagues at Duke's Divinity School. So I work in this hilariously, wonderfully geriatric profession where almost all my friends on faculty were in the 65-plus category. And my favorite were in the 70-plus category. (laughs) So they were always the best people to talk to because they were the people to say, hey, like, I'm 35. I don't think I'm going to make it to 36. I am absolutely terrified that my of what happens when my child can't remember me and that I will be the worst thing that happens to all the people that I love. Like, period. Those are all my deepest fears. Like, how do I, how do I live? Like, what do I need to do? How can I, like, wrap this up? Like, help me stick the landing on this thing. And, and these are people who, like, have done a million weddings but a million funerals for the most unspeakable things. And they were... They'd lived a lot of life and then also had it blow up in their faces. And I just remember my friends saying, oh, Kate, like, you can want it to all add up, but, like, it will come undone. And when they said it, I believed them. She's written about the father of one of her students, who found out he only had a few months to live. She writes, His father didn't have a wish list. In fact... His father didn't wish for anything at all. Not a trip, not a meal. He sat contentedly in his overstuffed recliner in the living room, humming about how much he loved his family. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Kate Bowler grew up in Manitoba, Canada, as she says, in the prairies. Her mother and father were both college professors, and she was raised in a religious home as a Mennonite. Mennonites are like this, um, they're kind of like cousins to the Amish, and to, they're, they're a group. They're like, you can only think of them in mass. And they're always, you know, they're famous for things like pacifism and simplicity and mostly just, I don't know, ruining everything with jello. Um, but they're... They have this wonderful theology of um, exhausting martyrdom. Like, they totally expect life to be the worst. And I didn't realize what an advantage that would be to be around a group like that when your life is exploding. Because they don't have um, sort of wildly inflated, optimistic expectations. Uh, But they're great. They're great at suffering. They're great at errands. They're great at being like, huh, this fence is leaning a little bit. We might, uh, they're, and they're great at scaling recipes by about two or 300. And so you kind of, they, they kind of bring the hive feeling. And that was such a gift just to create like momentum 
And I think that was so good for, I mean, for me, it was, it was this, the strongest feeling I wanted to have was that my, that my husband and my son, because we live in Durham, North Carolina, without any family nearby, that they could be kind of brought back into the web of people. And that what I was picturing was, okay, well, these will be the people that will carry them when I'm gone. And so they need to kind of like glue together now. So I guess one of the first things I did as a, like a cancer mom was I let everybody take care of my kid, even though I wanted all the time. But I was like, okay, now is time for us all to be a group project. And, and Mennonites are, are so good at that. What was the hardest time of the day for you? Mm. Um, yeah. But you know, there's that there's, funny thing yes. where people say when they wake up in the middle of the night. I yeah. just saw this New Yorker cartoon, this Roz Chast, who said that, you know, when you wake up in the middle of these four categories that keep you up, you know, am I going to be fired? Am I going to be audited? Do I? What cancer do I have? And, you know, f- f- we, there's this joke. People will wake up, well, I was just considering all the types of cancers that I that I probably have coursing through my body in the middle of the night when, when these are people who are perfectly healthy. Um, when you have <laughs> a very, yeah. the worst form of, of cancer you can, what, what, what does someone like you do when they wake up in the middle of the night? Oh, man, 2 a.m., 2 a.m. Kate is like, it kind of reminds me of like after philosophy classes in college, Kate, where you're just like deeply, horrifyingly existential and and emotional all the time. But I did, uh, the worst moments were the overwhelming fears of, I mean, it's, it's the truth of it, which is that nothing will add up to enough. It's like, you, you look, you can just feel the tick, tick of it. And I was honest about that at 2 a.m. in a way that I wasn't at 2 p.m. 2 p.m., I was regular hyper-efficiency super monster Kate who just, like, had stuff to get done and was trying to make sure everyone had enough towels. It was it was in, in the 2 a.m. kind of moments where I could be the most honest about the fact that um, that this was not the life that I hoped for, that I felt robbed, that everyone else that I loved was being robbed, and also that this whole experience might end up so badly that it wouldn't just take me down, but that, I mean, our rising medical costs, that like all the the debt of it would be something they would live with forever. So I was, um, I think most of my fears were for them, maybe mostly just because of like the total narcissism of being a person where you just can't actually ever picture yourself dying. <laughs> so I just, and just all my worries were um, all the things that were out of my control. Does being a, a practicing Christian help you if you are having these thoughts at 2 a.m.? It's so weird, but Christianity fixes everything. I don't know if you know this. Maybe <laughs> it's a whole thing. You never even it's wake up. You just sleep for eight hours straight. And <laughs> yeah, and then your eyes open, and they're just they're instead of retinas. It's just the shape of hearts. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's wildly convenient. I work at a divinity school, so it's just kind of full of do-gooders of all kinds, and and a lot of that part of it made life easier, insofar as. Um, there are lots of things that they are good at that I really needed. I needed to be um, 
have all the people show up with food and to have people who loved me enough to pray for me, which is to say have hope for me when I wasn't sure how to have hope. And also the Christian solutions to the problem of pain really felt like pretty pernicious, <laughs> like truly terrible um, lies that people, like solutions that people were giving me, like, um, oh, but don't worry, heaven is going to be amazing, as if that would somehow diminish the tragedy of of leaving behind a toddler or, you know, that I would, heaven is great, uh, you know, God needed an angel, um, God is closing doors and opening so many windows in the world that just need a, to be cracked open. And it was the Christian certainties that sometimes were much more painful to me than um, than any other kind of, like, false hope. Yeah, you just want to say to them, like, save it, you know, when they're... <laughs> exactly. It's like they're kind of like God's hype man, just sort of, like, wants to stand alongside and be like, he's great. And I'm like, well, what I know of God's goodness is... <laughs> Not showing up in this version. Thank you. Support for This Is Love comes from Indeed. Sometimes a new person joining your team at work can make a good team into a great one. But finding the right person can be a challenge. Indeed helps you find that perfect match when you're looking to hire. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences for job candidates and becomes more accurate over time. So the more you use it, the better it gets. Indeed will also help you with some of the busy work of hiring too, like scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates. According to a survey by Indeed, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Listeners of This Is Love will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash This Is Love. Just go to Indeed.com slash This Is Love right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash This Is Love. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Embracing nature is more than just going for a walk now and then. It's reconnecting with the elements. It's harnessing the power of natural ingredients. It's putting the earth first. For over 50 years, Nature's Sunshine has been sharing the healing power of nature as they work towards a healthier planet. Their manufacturing facility is 100% powered by sunlight, and they divert 95% of waste away from landfills. If you're looking for a sustainably made herbal supplement, you might want to check out Nature Sunshine and their new power line. Power Beats are a superfood performance booster that can help enhance both performance and blood flow. And Power Meal is a satisfying protein-packed superfood shake that comes in sustainable packaging made with nearly 40% post-consumer recycled plastics. Now that's something you can feel good about. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order. 
Kate Bowler was given three paths that her body and her cancer might take. The first was that she could go through chemotherapy, which would hopefully give her some time. The second was that the cancer could proliferate so quickly that no treatment would be effective. It would spread too fast. The third, and the least likely, was that she could be eligible for an experimental immunotherapy treatment that some people were responding to. In order to qualify, she would need to have a certain variation of the cancer. She calls it the magic type of cancer. Only 3% of people with Kate's diagnosis have it, and it turns out she was one of them. And so when I found out I was part of the 3%, I had that sort of feeling where I felt a little sick, like not being sure whether I could be hopeful or not. But everyone that loved me was just deliriously hopeful, and I sort of set my mind to being, at least outwardly, as hopeful as they were. Kate Bowler enrolled in a medical trial at Emory University in Atlanta and began making the weekly trip from North Carolina, leaving her house for an early morning flight every Wednesday, spending the day getting treatments at Emory, and then returning home, arriving after midnight. The weekly trips lasted nine months. Every two months, she was told whether she would qualify for another dose of the drug. She says she lived her life in 60-day increments. In February of 2016, a few months after her diagnosis, Kate Bowler published an op-ed in the New York Times titled, Death, the Prosperity Gospel, and Me. She writes, I am a historian of the American prosperity gospel. Put simply, the prosperity gospel is the belief that God grants health and wealth to those with the right kind of faith. She spent more than 10 years meeting with pastors and congregants, asking them about their belief in the prosperity gospel. They were looking for a a spiritual universe to live in that felt fair, that if they had a certain kind of faith that they could, if they spoke positively and believed positively, that they could finally find a solution to um, suffering and to... Uh, disease and to poverty and to all the things, the uncertainties that plague us all. So once I once I began to see the world from from that perspective, it be, it became hard to unsee that isn't that really sort of the 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 quest that many of us have, which is how do I how do I find a formula to get through life? And to escape some of the worst. Yeah. Yeah. She writes that the modern prosperity gospel, quote, offers people a guarantee. Follow these rules and God will reward you, heal you, restore you. And she describes a time when a neighbor walked up to her husband and said, everything happens for a reason. Her husband said, I'd love to hear it. One of the most endearing and saddest things about being sick, she writes, is watching people's attempts to make sense of your problem. The chronic nature of what I had really lent itself to people wanting to openly explain why I was suffering. Was it um, something I ate? Was it um, something I did spiritually? Was it, uh, like, who's at fault here? How do we, you know? And I, 
I think the the pain of that, of feeling like I was a problem to be solved, was the was really the reason why I started writing. Is I felt totally unable in my regular life to just say, um, no, um, sometimes pain is for nothing at all, or no, uh, you know, maybe everything doesn't happen for a reason. That, that must be so refreshing. <laughs> you know, to, 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 not, 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 but no, to, to this for someone in your position, someone who is suffering from a, a serious cancer diagnosis, to to read that no, everything doesn't happen for a reason. I mean, I can imagine, like for me, that's a refreshing idea, and so I can only imagine that for someone who is struggling, like you had been struggling, to see someone write that, stop telling me that, you know, just, you know, knock it off. It doesn't always happen for a reason. Things can be bad. There can be no explanation. Yeah. I guess that was kind of the... I wrote it out of a deep place of loneliness. And then what I got back was um, was really the first community that I... Well, that has sustained me to this day, really. I just got... I got hundreds and hundreds and then thousands of responses. That, to me, made me realize, like, this is a big community of people who want to say that there is truth and beauty and meaning in life, but there doesn't always have to be solutions and answers in the same way that we've been told. Kate Bowler went on to write a book. She titled it, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. In it, she writes, I can't reconcile the way that the world is jolted by events that are wonderful and terrible, the gorgeous and the tragic, except that I am beginning to believe that these opposites do not cancel each other out. Joy persists somehow, and I soak it in. Where are you in in your journey with this disease uh, right now? Yeah, it's such a... Um it's like such a complicated thing because I had a, I had like a series of surgeries that were for the most part really successful. And so I likely don't have much cancer left, but I uh, keep having worrisome scans. So I guess it just, I'm, I've kind of treated it like I'm on the sort of bumpy service road of health. Like there's a health superhighway nearby and I can see all the traffic, but I'm just not there. So I just think of cancer as a chronic condition and that I'm always uh, I'm very grateful not to be kind of uh, the sort of Smokey the Bear threat level red but I'm, I'm never going to be green again Do you ever speak with people who've just been diagnosed with um, stage 4 cancer? I mean I'm sure you do it, Yeah. or people who reach out to you who are also kind of desperate for someone to not just say it's all going to be okay or whatever they're going to yeah. say what what do you say to them? I guess maybe the the most the thing that always feels most obvious is just saying the thing that I wish someone had said right away, which is that I'm so sorry this is happening to you. It's so unfair. No one ever um no one ever apologizes for how unfair life can be and I just I'm so grateful to be the person who can say that it is that I'm so sorry this is happening to you. Just like acknowledgement. I felt like everyone was so quick to explain 
What I really wanted was just to have the landing, the soft landing for a second. And, um, yeah, and then to just, um, and mostly why people reach out is that um, some kind of cultural script, like optimism or, you know, everything's going to be okay or everything happens for a reason kind of thing is like, standing as a barrier of inflexible optimism between them and people who love them and that they just need a minute just need a minute to feel the to feel the weight of the loss before they're ready to rally in any way this is because i i don't believe that that we necessarily, when we confront our own death or have seen the other side or live with this fear every day of bad news, that that somehow makes us wise or sage or something. I don't think that, I think that, <laughs> no. you know, but, but, but what does it teach you about anything? You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be about, but, but what does it do? And it might not be a good thing that it does, but, but what yeah. does this do to, to you and what has it done? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I don't think I understood like precarity, like the, the being delicate, having my life built, be built on things that are so contingent and could be taken away. And, and that maybe precarity is not something we can ever really get over. Maybe it's something we have to learn how to live beautifully inside. Um, and I, I, I did not, have that, you know, because my life had been relatively durable before and predictable. And I think precarity feels like it's a, like a world I live in now. And, uh, and what I love about it is that now I can see it everywhere. And it helps me kind of abandon some of the vanity of individualism and be like, oh my gosh, like we all belong to each other because we have to. Does joy look differently to you now? I think I did um, picture it like the kind of positive thinking, obsessive optimism, like like it was a, like it was the result of a lot of happiness. But now I just I don't know. I think it was my friend Nadia who said it. She was like, pain can scoop out of you, like carve out of you spaces that joy can then fill. I thought that was such a wise, like just a true thing to say because, I mean. There, this has been a long stretch of a lot of, of, of like, sorrow. But weirdly, one of the only things that really cuts through all the noise is just usually surprising and ridiculous joy. And sometimes it's like, you know, like the, the, the doctor who makes a hilarious joke and lets you be himself and then all of a sudden, you know, just, you know, laughing when you really should just be worrying about your surgical incisions. <laughs> but, like... And some of it is like a, a gingerbread party you throw for no reason. And some of it is just that um, you're so loved that you can't help it. So, yeah, I know joy isn't a solution, but it feels like the closest experience I have to like something that fundamentally feels like I'm experiencing enoughness. most recent book is No Cure for Being Human and Other Truths I Need to Hear. 
This Is Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Susanna Robertson is our producer. Audio mix by Rob Byers. You can find out more about the show at thisislovepodcast.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at This Is Love Show. This Is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're a part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Celebrate Earth Month this April by harnessing the power of Mother Nature with Nature's Sunshine's new power line. From power greens with over 200 plant-based nutrients to support gut health and foundational nutrition to power beets that can improve performance and blood flow. Not to mention Power Meal, which delivers plant-based calories from Whole Foods to help keep you both energized and feeling satisfied throughout the day. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order.